Welcome, NEC Hoops fans, to the NEC On The Run podcast. My name is Ron Ratner. I'm joined by Ryan Peters. You can find Ryan on Twitter or X now at Pioneer underscore Pride. He's also a blogger for the NEC Overtime blog. Ryan, our last podcast of the regular season here. I can't believe we are only one week left in this season. It has flown by. It's been super exciting. And as I'm wading through all the tiebreakers now, this week is going to be wild, and it's what we're all waiting for. Crazy to think we're nine or ten days away from playoff basketball, but we are. So here we are. Let's start at the top, and we'll work our way down the standings and try to get into some of the scenarios that have cropped up for this week. First, let's talk at the top, Central Connecticut and Merrimack. Central comes off pretty wild road week. They win two games by the skin of their teeth by one point. Uh, at Wagner and then against Sacred Heart in games they were losing. They have put themselves in a pretty good position right now. Should Merrimack slip up in this final week? Let's talk first about the Blue Devils' two road wins. Uh, they're like cardiac kids out in New Britain. It was amazing because they had a 7.5% probability when they were trailing Wagner 32-12 to 12 in the first half. They come from behind and win that game. And they were 11% probability when they're trailing Sacred Heart midway through that game, 35 to 22. So for Pat Sellers group to come from behind and, and win in dramatic uh, fashion is really impressive. You know, just talking about the Wagner game, because I was there, of course, they only got a combined 15 points out of Jordan Jones and Kellen Amos in that game. No Alan Jean Rose. He was out. And so for them to get contributions elsewhere, you know, Momo and Brown combined at the five for 24 points, 15 rebounds and two blocks. Devontae Sweatman had the best game of his uh, year, maybe his career, 15 points, six rebounds, three assists, playing big time minutes in place of AJR. And then, you know, Breland hit a couple big corner threes in that second half. Um, you know, that that's a tremendous win. And then Sacred Heart again, you know, you're down double digits against a, a potent offense that the Pioneers have. But, you know, Gene Rose's presence inside the arc really keyed the Blue Devils. Again, Breland hit some big shots. He had six threes in that game. And Central Connecticut, they win. They got two favorable games now. They're hosting LIU, and then they're they're hosting Stonehill. So if they do their job, they just need Merrimack to slip up once or, you know, once in these two games, you know, at FDU and then uh, at Sacred Heart, of course. So, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough road for for Merrimack, but obviously they're they're playing really well. We're gonna talk about them soon. But Central's in great shape going into the final week of the season. So when Central's getting these contributions down the lineup from eight different players, really makes them hard to beat because they can withstand an Alan Jean Rose not playing or a down game from one of their other stars from Amos or Jordan Jones. Yeah, and the thing the thing I I preach on this team is versatility you know Kellen Amos didn't have a great game against Wagner but he was very active defensively you know getting blocks getting deflections his length is a real problem for the other team on defense you pair him with Gene Rose and then obviously Momo's a great shot blocker Jaden Brown's really improved defensively so three through five this team is brutal on the defensive end and I didn't even mention Jordan Jones who's you know one of the steals leaders in the conference in terms of steal rate so defensively this is such a good team and they're versatile so if they have off nights offensively that defense could really carry them and then when you get contributions from Momo and Joe Ostrowski had six points you know he he, he showed up big time against Wagner as well and I mentioned Sweatman earlier I mean 
to have a, a really strong five, six, seven, eight on that team just kind of shows you how well, you know, Pat Sellers has recruited over the last three years to build that depth over time. Yeah, Central, they flirted with danger, but they won both games. They've had eight games this season in which have been decided in NEC play by five points or less. They've won five of them. So their ability to win close games has, has put them now one game behind a Merrimack team that had hoped that they could sew things up last week. That didn't happen. They, they at 12 and two, they played, uh, Merrimack only had one game last week. They had a bye on Saturday. They got past St. Francis at home on Thursday. And now here they are. They are one win or a central loss away from earning at least a share of the title. And the magic number for them to clinch the one spot is two games heading into the final week of play. Yeah, a workmanlike victory over St. Francis. You know, um, you had, you know, at least six Warriors scoring seven points in that game. Durkak, 11 and seven assists. Bud Clark, 13 and five assists. Devon Savage, three triples. They forced 20 turnovers. Another ho-hum performance for Joe Gallo's group. And think about this. Since Merrimack has entered Division I basketball, they are now 32-9 and nine in the month of February in their five years playing in the Northeast Conference. And they, they, they've won their last 16 February games dating back to 2022. So, and if you even include the last March when they won those three tournament games in the NEC tournament, of course, they haven't lost a single February or March game since 2022. It's just an incredible run that Joe Gallo has like engineered and the staff to do it. You know, and we've mentioned it before in this pod, you know, losing all their guys from last year and then just continuing this excellence is just so impressive. It's pretty wild what they've done in February and then in, in March. Right now, the third longest win streak in the nation at nine games. So they are red hot when they always seem to get red hot. Let's just talk about the two teams this week. So again, Merrimack's in the driver's seat. Central needs them to slip up at some point. So uh, a Central sweep coupled with one Merrimack loss makes things puts things in Central's favor. It doesn't guarantee them the one seed. A Lemoyne loss, a Merrimack loss, and a Central sweep would do it for them right there. Obviously, if Central wins two and Merrimack loses two, that vaults them right over the Warriors. So there are ways to get there. But Central, in their favor right now, they've swept FDU, they've swept Sacred Heart, and they've swept Wagner. They were swept themselves by Lemoyne. So Lemoyne is sort of the, the fly in the ointment for Central if they get into a tiebreaker situation. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Let's move down now to the next level, the teams fighting for home games. We have four teams in that mix right now. You have Sacred Heart, FDU, um, Wagner, and Lemoyne. Four teams, two spots available right now. Right now, FDU and Sacred Heart are a game ahead at eight and six. Wagner, after their win on Sunday, joined Lemoyne at seven and seven. All four teams can be seated as high as three and Sacred Heart can be seated as low as five. And the other three teams, FDU, Wagner, Lemoyne, could go, go all the way down to number six. So there's a lot at stake this week and there's a lot of moving parts to see where people are going to uh, finish out. And there are some good games that we'll talk about later involving these teams. So that's where we're standing in the middle of the standings. LIU is locked into the seven seed. Um, no matter what happens this week, they're the only team that is uh, already has their tournament seeds set in stone. But let's now go down to the bottom half of the standings where we have now a race 
for that eighth and final spot after Stonehill's uh, big win over St. Francis U on Saturday that saw Tony Felder, who we're going to talk to later about it, score 30 points, and he's our NEC Player of the Week. Ryan, I I don't know if like two weeks ago, if we would have said that there was going to be a battle for this last spot, we would have thought there would actually be one. But here we are, and Stonehill actually controls its own destiny. Yeah, it's amazing. And they, they with their backs to the wall, they had their best offensive performance of the year against St. Francis. They led wire to wire. They scored 1.16 points per possession, shot 55% from inside the arc. They got to the free throw line 28 times, and they nearly had a two to one assist to turnover ratio. So Chris Krause's team stepped up when they needed to. And now every game for them is a playoff game now, right? They're, they're hosting Sacred Heart. Ken Palm calls him a four-point underdog, but that's going to be a really close, tight game. You know, your Sacred Heart comes in, you know, they they lost a, a heartbreaker to Central Connecticut. They, they won a, a game where they dropped 99 points on FDU on Thursday. That's going to be a really tight game. And, uh, you know, Stonehill's back to the wall. They're desperate. Tony Felder's playing really well. You know, you get Zagorowski going from deep. They have a number of veterans who could play well. Uh, that's going to be a game to watch for sure on Thursday. Yeah, this is it makes for an exciting final week of the season to have qualifications still pending for these two teams. Stonehill can lock it up with a sweep. That's the easiest way for them to do it because they would have a win over Central on that resume. So we'll see what happens. St. Francis, they host Lemoyne. If they take care of business there, they're in pretty good shape unless Stonehill sweeps. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Whatever it is, we'll have one very, you know, young team involved in the playoffs. And as we've seen with Stonehill playing Merrimack this year, they already played them tough once. Now, granted, going to going up to Merrimack and winning on in Lola Arena will be tough for any team to do much, you know, any team in the league. It's always tough to play there, but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm sure Chris would love to get that Merrimack game back because they were they were up five with about two minutes left, and then you know the Merrimack defense just kind of ratcheted it up and really played well down the stretch, and then Bud Clark took that game over, right? Made that made that jumper, I think with like nine seconds left in the game to to pull it out and uh, kind of you know to to win a game that you know quite frankly it looked like Stonehill was going to pull off that monster upset, but. It just shows you the you know, dangerousness of, of Stonehill. This is a team that, despite their record, can beat anyone at any time. And uh, they'll definitely be a very feisty eight seed should they get into the NEC tournament. Let's talk just a few things here and there that happened last week. I was super impressed with Eric Acker in LIU's win over LeMoyne on Thursday. Uh, career high, 28 points. The potential, the upside for this young man is it's just through the roof, the the way he can beat people off the bounce. And he's become a go-to scorer for them as a freshman. Yeah, he's terrific. Uh, you know, 28 points and, and five assists. He's not just a playmaker for himself, but he can help his teammates out as well. And they're, they're going to be in need of a playmaker, obviously, with Ty Strickland graduating at the end of the year. So I think the upside, the Felders really, or I'm sorry, not Felder think of Stonehill now of, of uh, Acker is really, really high, uh, especially when you got Rod Strickland, you know, one of the great point guards in NBA history coaching you, um, you know, his ability, he's just so shifty Acker. He could get to any spot he wants to on the floor. 
his efficiency will improve, improve. We've seen that before out of freshmen. It takes him a little bit of time, a little bit more college experience to become more efficient at different levels, you know, whether scoring at the rim, the mid-range or three-point line. I have full confidence that Acker, based on his skill set, is going to be become a, eventually an all-conference player in this league. Let's shift over to FDU. Big win for them at LeMoyne. Ansley Almanor, Joe Munden had solid games. Let's talk about Almanor for a second. He is absolutely caught fire now in these last few weeks from three-point range. When he's cooking like this, this team, like when they're when they're putting points on the board and Almanor is that threat from deep, man, they're they're tough. That was an impressive win. It's not easy winning at LeMoyne. Um, and they kind of out LeMoyne, LeMoyne, hitting threes in this game. Yeah, Almanor is a tremendous stretch power forward in this league. You know, his ability to shoot the basketball, he's, he's 43% now in league play. That's third in, in the league in terms of league play, shooting the basketball. Eighth in offensive rating for Ken Palm in league play. Um, first in, in free throw percentage, making 84% of his uh, free throws as well. So he's such a dangerous player. And then when you get Joe Munden going at the same time, you know, those two combined to score 49 points and have to use critical win, critical in terms of getting a home game in the NEC tournament, critical win at LeMoyne. You know, the two of them combined the shot nine, nine of 12 from deep and then 12 of 13 from the free throw line. And, you know, in a tight win, that's, that's what you need. And so, Almanor, you got to pick him up at half court. I think you can't just let him. You can't let him breathe at all. I mean, you got to face guard him. You got to do whatever you can because when he gets in the catch and shoot, he is just lethal. Absolutely. By the way, as an aside, for the first time over the weekend, I watched the full FDU Purdue game from start to finish, and I'm still like my heart is pounding during this game. I'm still sweating. I'm still yelling at the TV when I don't like what's happening, even though I know the outcome. It was truly, it's a, it's it's now been a year, and we talked about it on the previous podcast. We have a a piece that you wrote coming out in oral history of FDU's win over Purdue that will come out during the tournament. But it is it was so exciting to watch it again, to see the crowd flip, to see the announcers change how they were essentially calling the game from mm-hmm. yeah. waiting for the waiting for the bottom to fall out to oh my goodness they can really do this yeah. and just to see the face the, the the faces of the players and one of the things I looked out for was when we had Ansley Almanor on the pod um, last week and he talked about how um, we asked when did you know that like what was the most the singular experience from that that you remember the most and it was Dimitri Roberts's block and then he headbutted the stanchion mm-hmm. so I, I I watched that and I got a good laugh about it but Truly just an, a, an amazing time for FDU for the NEC last March and gets me excited for, you know, what the future holds this March. Yeah, in writing that oral history, I watched that game a number of times. I went back and forth and uh, it, it was it was fun to, I got to interview Steve Lapis for that oral history and just talking to Steve about it. You know, he, he was very skeptical of FDU winning from the start and even halftime when they had that lead at 32-31. He was like, all right, Purdue's going to come out in the second half and just run away with it. But for, for, for Lapis, his moment when he started to believe was when, you know, Purdue went on an 11-0 run. They got up six, 47-41. And he even said it on the air at the time. This is the time where Purdue just needs to get, you know, pull this game away. 
make you know FDU believe that they cannot win this game. And what happens? Dimitri Roberts hits two big buckets, gets an and one in that sequence, and then Singleton hits a transition three-pointer in front of FDU's bench. They're on an 8-0 run. FDU once again has the lead. And now it's just like, oh no, Purdue. You could start seeing the fear in Purdue, the Purdue players' eyes, especially the guys around Zach Eady. You know, they're and they're double double triple teaming Edie and they're they're out they're do, Edie's doing the right thing, kicking out to the open shooter, but a lot of the Purdue Purdue guys just were kind of like shell shocked late in that game. You could tell because they lost to St. Peter's the previous year. You could tell it was definitely weighing on them. And uh, you know, goosebumps. I mean, the, the performances from Sean Moore, from Dimitri Roberts, Grant Singleton, even Ansley Almanor, who scored just one point in that game, the job he did on Zach Eady. Eady did not score a point in the final nine minutes of that game, did not even attempt a field goal. So the job that he had to do to front a guy that's almost 100 pounds heavier than him was just tremendous. So it's just a great all-around effort. It, it was just fun talking to Coach Anderson and and Coach Castleberry and getting their reflections. And even a year later, they're just, you could tell that the moment still moves them tremendously. They, they still get goosebumps talking about it. Yeah. That's, I, I did watch to see Almanor's defense, which, you know, you key, you can key in on more and watching it on the replay than you do the first time when you're all caught up in the excitement. And he did do a great job. And I'm also on, I'm on team Tweedy. Cam Tweedy had some yeah. big buckets in that game. Some yeah. big offensive rebounds. So I mean, I know they miss him this year, but he was he was huge for them in that game. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And he's he was even smaller in Almanor, and but he did a great job coming in. He was a, he was a huge part of that team's ascension late in the year because he came and had a big game um, at Merrimack in the in the NEC tournament final. And I really do believe when they lost him in this preseason with the injury, the knee injury. Um, it definitely hurt FDU a little bit because it took away some of their depth. He was their best rebounder. You kind of pair him with, you know, Almanor or Emmanuel. It makes for a lethal front court. But I know he's he's been rehabbing hard and he's going to come back next year and be a presence for FDU. All right, let's get back to this season. Uh, one other thing, a couple other things I want to talk about. Just quick, Sacred Heart dropped 99 points in their win over FDU. Most points in an NEC game this season. They had lots, lots of players Came up big in this one. Six six players scored in double digits. Yeah, Kyle McGee, you know, continued his hot hand, you know, 21 points. Joey Riley at 18. Sacred shot 65% from two. They were 12 of 22 from three. They had 25 assists. Um, Sacred Heart's dangerous because they could score with anyone. And they have a number of guys who can score, even guys off the bench like Solomon, who's played really well lately. Carpenter, you know, we mentioned uh, – you know, Brandon McGuire as well is a great point forward. So they're dangerous because they could score a lot of points and they could score them in a hurry. Um, if you get Saker Hart on one of their good shooting nights, you're in trouble. Last thing I wanted to hit was Wagner, an impressive win on uh, Sunday in our CBS sports game against LIU. Held LIU to one three-pointer, the lowest amount by in any NEC game this year. Uh, Mel Council, Melvin Council, once again, super duper. Like, th there's a player who's just coming into his own now. Looks so comfortable out there. Yeah, quick first step. He could get to any point in the court that he wants to because he has that ability. He's got that great blend of size, athleticism, and speed. And, you know, he thrives in transition. He thrives off the bounce. But he's starting to make more jump shots, too, which makes his game far more difficult um, to kind of contain. And, you know, 
Uh, for me, Kelton had a big game too, four three-pointers. He, he's been quiet for, for much of the, the, not the conference season, but when you get him going 14 points, you know, four of six from deep, that just adds another dimension to Wagner's offense, especially when you get him and Julian Brown hit threes. Yeah, also Keontae Lewis had those three blocks in the first half, stayed out of foul trouble the whole game. He's been he's been on kind of a roll of late. I think he scored in double digits in his last four games now. Yeah, he he's he's really good. You mentioned a foul trouble is a big thing with him. He's got to stay on the floor for Wagner, especially amid their their you know short rotation. But yeah, he's you can't move him off the block. He's very good. He's got a nice little post game. He's got a you know a, a baby jump hook over his right shoulder. That's pretty good. Very good offensive rebounder. And like I said, if he gets good position on you in the low block, forget it. He's he's making that bucket, you know, 70% of the time. Welcome, NEC Hoops fans, to this week's Open Mic. Today, our guest, Tony Felder, Stonehill College, sophomore guard. Tony, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, Tony, you're coming off a big game on Saturday. Career high, 30 points. You were showing off the full arsenal, reverses, threes, um, pull-ups, working it in transition. Did you have, How quick into this game did you know that uh, you, you were going to have a big one? Um, you know, it was a must win game. So just, I just knew I had to do anything in my willpower and in our team's willpower just to get the win. So to stay alive. So, um, once I got like the three free throws in the beginning, it just got me a little rhythm to continue going throughout the whole entire game. How does, how did the home fans, how much does that help when you hear that support in the crowd? Man, it's a, it's definitely a blessing, you know, um, my whole family's there being a kid right around the corner, being from right around the corner. So um, just having my whole family there and having the whole crowd section there just helps us. That whole credit advantage is real for sure. Tony, that was a complete performance against uh, St. Francis. You guys led wire to wire. And I know it's been, it's been a hard year. You know, you've had a lot of injuries. You've had a lot of bad luck. You've lost some close games. You took, you know, Merrimack to the brink the other, the other week. How have you and your teammates been able to stay focused and continue to battle on game in and game out? You know, um, my coach says um, good sailors. He says something about good sailors. Hold on. He says good sailors have rough waters. So you you learn with like with the tough times you go through, you learn how to build build to beat that adversity. And now is like a perfect example of that. We got to win. We have a chance to get in. And I feel like that's what we need, just a chance. And I feel like we can make some noise. And talking about adversity, a person like you, you you're five ten, you might be 165 pounds, but the fact that you're playing at a high level division one, first at VMI and now at Stonehill, just curious, you know, what have been keys to you in terms of being able to score, especially from inside the arc, given your size? Um, just really just working hard. Um, confidence comes from just putting in work. So just continue to put in work each and every day, just trying to be the best me I could possibly be for my team. Yeah, and you showed a, a, an ability to score at three levels against St. Francis. You've shown that ability all year. You know, your mid-range game in particular has been pretty impressive. You know, your pull-up, you had a, you know, a step back. Uh, how much time have you been working on your mid-range? Does that go back to your high school days? How did you develop that part of your game? Um, same exact thing. You know, I just feel like uh, throughout, like, since high school, college, even middle school, just having that routine and just continuing to do it and just shoot every, just shoot as much as I possibly can. And 
just get rhythms and rhythms. And once you feel it, you know, you just you build a confidence from getting shots up all the time. So that's really it. Tony, as you worked on your game growing up, uh, is there anybody that you patterned it after college player, pro player? Um, you know, I have a I have a few favorite players, but you know, you obviously learn things from different people. Like I watch a lot of YouTube and um I watch a lot of things on how to be a better leader, how to be a better player. But for leadership, I watch a lot of Chris Paul. Just I'm trying to understand why he's such a good leader. And in basketball, um, Damian Lillard has always been my favorite player uh, since since a young kid. So I love Damian Lillard, just how, how he attacks the game and how he can score at will and also get his players involved. So, Is there a tip that you learned from watching Chris Paul as far as leadership skills? There's something you picked up from that that you've applied in, in practice? Um, you know, you have to learn that like your teammates, like you guys are brothers, but they might not always love you and how you might come across sometimes. And that's something I really picked up from him. Like with me, like I always like to be loved by people and try to be the best person I could be. But I had to learn that, like, you know, you can go at people and they'll still love you the exact same way. So that's that really was just something I had to learn and try to implement into myself what a great lesson that's awesome let's switch gears a bit you you're from Brockton pretty close to Easton now how how cool is it to come home now and play as you said in front of your your family and play so close to home it's a dream come true uh being able to play close to home you know I always wanted to do that since like being young so to be able to do it, my family's at every single game you should see my list for the people I have to bring into the game each and every day that's especially home games so um it's definitely a blessing having friends come having family come and just being in a comfortable more comfortable situation you know your experience at VMI you had a really good freshman year I'm just curious you know you were far away from home that year you know how did how did last year really mature you and maybe build up your desire to play closer to home now at Stonehill Man, VMI, VMI is a special place for sure. Uh, it definitely taught me a lot about myself, about my character, about being disciplined, about just all aspects of life. It was it was definitely a hard year for sure. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but it taught me so much in that one year that I, I, I wouldn't ask for anything else for my freshman year. I love shift gears. That's a good yeah. run. You can go. I'd say let's shift gears. You know, you talk about Damian Lillard. Let's say you're Lillard late in the game, ball in your hands, late in the shot clock. Stonehill needs a bucket. What's your go-to move? Where on the court are you trying to get to? Um, Something about me is um, I don't want to give out too much information, but uh, <laughs> I, love, I love getting to a little spin. I love my spin move. Uh, I work on it a lot. And, um, you know, I've been in that situation twice this year, and both times I haven't been successful. So, Hopefully the next time I'm in that situation and maybe I get to that move, maybe I can knock it down, but I work on it so much and I'm so confident in it that like, I know that if it goes in or if it misses, you know, just, just be confident in anything you do. So that's really it. Tony, before we get to the rest of this season, you got a pretty young team. There's a lot of young players who are getting some good, good minutes. What, what should we be looking at as the future of Stonehill basketball? Man, uh, just people who want to win, just we're growing each and every day. And you see it, even though we're going through adversity, you see the growth, 
And I feel like, well, maybe not everybody on the outside, but I feel that we're growing so much at a rapid pace right now, especially in this point in the season. And, you know, some teams, they, they come together in the right time of the year. And I feel that in the future that we're just going to continue to grow as we're going right now and grow and grow and grow through the growing pains. So. Well, you've, you've gone through adversity, but as you've been saying, you know, you've been in so many of these games all year. You're right. You're right there. You took Merrimack to the end. You had a savior season win on Saturday against St. Francis. Now you actually control your own destiny to make the playoffs. Two wins will get you in. What do you need to do in these games? They're not easy games. You got to play Sacred Heart and, and Central, two of the best teams in the conference. What do you need to do to keep this momentum going and ride it into the playoffs? It's do or die at this point. So we're we're going into every game like this is a like a Super Bowl. Um, we know what we have to do to win games. We know what we know the exact point when the adversity is gonna come. We just have to be ready for it and use these few days of practice to to prepare us for these these games coming up. There you go. Tony Felder coming off a 30-point game on against St. Francis on it. Saturday and a huge win. Tony, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us today and best of luck this week. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much. Ryan, that was so much fun talking to Tony Felder. I loved, he's a sophomore, but I loved him talking a little bit about leadership and who he looks up to in, in wanting to be a better leader for his team. Yeah, that's not surprising because he was at VMI as a freshman, right? But yeah, right. it just shows like a, a great maturity. The fact that he wants to play close to home, be near his family. Um, you know, Chris Krause is a great you know point guard leading him for the next couple of years after this season. All right, let's, before we wrap this up, just talk about a couple of games. Every game, I was thinking of what games we could talk about this week. We don't have any TV uh, games in our TV package, but every almost every game is meaningful. Let's just focus on these two. Central and Merrimack, we talked about that there's a pathway for Central of number one. They play, they host Stonehill and they host LIU. A definitely a more favorable schedule than what Merrimack has to do. Merrimack has to go on the road and play at FDU, Sacred Heart. Both FDU and Sacred Heart need wins. They're trying to be a top four seed and host that quarterfinal game. What do you envision coming out of this? Do you see Merrimack possibly dropping one of these and opening the door for Central? I honestly can't. I can't. You know, and Ken Palm favors Merrimack slightly in both games, but given the the, the win streak that I mentioned, they've won 16 straight February games. How can I bet against Joe Gallo? And he just they they find a way to win these games. It's crazy. You know, LIU had him on the brink. You know, in Brooklyn, we mentioned Stonehill earlier. Stonehill should have won that game, but. They just they they know how to win. They have great playmakers in Dirk Hack and Bud Clark who can get a bucket anytime they want. They can do a number of things defensively. They just lock in late in the game. That zone really kind of wears down offenses. You know, wears down your legs. And so, no, I can't. I I'm not going to believe that <laughs> Merrimack's going to slip up here. Maybe that's you know being cynical as a Sacred Heart alum, but I mean I just don't <laughs> see it. I, I, if I had to put money on this, and I, I don't bet in college basketball, but if I had to put money on this, I'm going to bet Merrimack's going two and zero this week. All right, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a fun week of NEC hoops. Uh, Thursday night, we'll we'll work on getting all those tiebreakers out for all the fans. 
And then Saturday, we wrap it up. And as you said, by by Wednesday, March 6th, we are in playoff mode uh, for the quarterfinals at home sites all up and down the footprint. So I'm really excited. Ryan, I want to thank you this season for joining us. Uh, thank you for all the writing you've done for the blog and for being my partner in crime here on the podcast. It's been a fun year talking. I like the, you know, we've changed the format up a little bit. And I think it's just a little fresher, a little more free flowing between the two of us talking about what's just what's going down in NEC hoops. And I hope everybody's enjoyed it this season. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the format a lot less outtakes, right? We've been able to get through these <laughs> uh, with no issues whatsoever. And it's, it's helped Kyle out, I'm sure, but no, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great season. And, you know, I think once we get to the NEC tournament semifinals, there's going to be two terrific games that could go either way. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in store for a treat. Yep. Thanks, fans, for joining us on the – yeah, thanks for joining us on the NEC on the Run pod this year. We will, we will maybe be back and do some previews uh, during the playoffs. But as far as uh, regular podcasts, this will be our final one of the season. Hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, good luck to all our teams this week. It should be fun.